Welcome to BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. We're joined by judges and legal professionals to discuss emerging trends, regulatory updates, and the latest headlines. We'll provide tips to help your law firms and legal departments make the most out of legal tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Crafton, BDO's Forensic Technology Practice Leader. And I'm Daniel Gold, BDO's Managing Director of the Enterprise eDiscovery Managed Services Practice. Let's get started with this episode's exciting topic. All right, welcome to this episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk. We are super excited to be joined by Mike Cordero talking about the legal skills of the future that all lawyers must know. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, we are excited to have you here and talk to us about this very important topic. Mike, why don't you start us off and share with us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do and how that is so relevant to today's episode. Absolutely. So started better part of my career working at big law firms in New York City. Actually started my career as a paralegal in the 90s, got involved in some of the big class action litigations of the time during my days at Skadden, spent about 10 years there, and then came across a really good opportunity to lead a department at Strook and Strook and Levan. So went over there, became director of litigation support slash e-discovery, whatever you want to call it. Started teaching at some point at a small college in Arizona. From that, I decided to write a book. I wrote a book called Project Management Electronic Discovery. And then I started my own consulting practice after leaving the firm. And then in 2019, this opportunity to run ACEDS came along. And I've been there from the outset with ACEDS. I helped design the original exam 12 years ago. So it was an exciting opportunity and I needed healthcare benefits. So <laughs> that's kind of the career journey in a nutshell. We can't underestimate the importance, obviously, of healthcare benefits, Mike. And also, Full disclosure for the listening audience, we've known each other for about eight years now. Maybe longer than that. I forget. I, I was trying to be generous and nice and just say eight, but it, it may be even longer than that. So we lost three years of the pandemic. So that that is true. So there's probably that. So the listeners can't see, but I'm but I'm actually holding your book in, in my hand. It's interesting. When you wrote the book, I was fascinated by it because e-discovery project management is not something that often people think as being a legal skill. And, you know, I'm wondering, it's a great book, by the way. And you told me right before the, the recording that there's a second edition that's just come out, which I'm going to, you know, go ahead and purchase that one as well, Mike. I'm going to do that too. But, you know, where did you see this white space in the legal industry where he said, well, this is a legal skill that people need to know they need to understand it, develop this framework so that they can help their teams thrive every day. So really, like most things, it arose out of necessity. So two things were sort of happening at the same time. I was involved in legal matters that got me to think about it. And this started many years ago. If you think back to the early days of e-discovery, 1999, 2000, 2001, if you think back to those days and how sort of immature the process was back then, like we didn't even have the EDRM model yet. So nobody had a framework. And I'm working on these massive class action securities litigations where 
you know, there's 45 law firms and different jurisdictions, and we've got review teams spread all over different continents looking at, you know, back then 13 terabytes of data was a lot of data. And nobody envisioned this. And so I'm thinking about how we're doing this. We're still scanning paper documents, 4,000 boxes on one case, scanning these documents to get them into a review platform so a lawyer in Russia could look at them, right? And I'm saying there's got to be better ways to do this stuff. And I so I, I just started looking at project management as a tool, as a process, as a, a structured way to approach the workflows that to me became second nature because I'm doing it every day. But to the rest of the world, really, they weren't thinking about it. And fast forward through, you know, the years through the development of the EDRM and the improvement in the technologies. And, and I'm still thinking about this. And now I'm teaching, right? I'm teaching paralegals and litigation support and actually, you know, graduate level lawyers on these processes. And there's no book. There's no text. We're cobbling together articles from, you know, back then, you know, legal tech news or whatever, the precursor to the LTN today, blog posts, you know, whatever we can get our hands on for reading material for students. And frankly, the board at the university where I was teaching, small paralegal school, Bryan University in Tempe, Arizona, the advisory board approached me and said, Mike, you've got time on your hands. Why don't you write a book? <laughs> so that was 2012, 2013, three years later, the book came out. Was there a particular moment? I mean, I remember in my own career, Daniel, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. You know, I'm in the basement of a very large Washington, D.C. law firm. There's probably, you know, 100, 125 attorneys just hammer away reviewing documents in this basement. And I'm running, you know, from desk to desk, just helping solve issues and problems. And it just occurs to me as I'm looking around the room, you know, here we are, we have all these people burning all these hours, all this time, looking for the needle in the haystack. There's got to be a better way. And that moment, it's kind of always stuck to me when I think back to, you know, how difficult things were. I think back to that room. It was also Valentine's Day, I recall. <laughs> I had a very, very lonely steak by myself in a hotel that night. But, you know, we, we just have these moments, right, where we just like a spark comes up like hits us and we just realize there's got to be a better way we don't necessarily know what that better way is but we go after it did you have a moment like that yeah no for sure and i'll tell you exactly when it was so we had to do service lists to a massive list of law firms counsel on both sides of the, and the court of course and it never occurred to anybody to like use a macro in microsoft word to do that, right? A mail merge, a simple function. But when you're talking about 45, 50 different organizations that have to get the same piece of paper or the same deliverable, like it's a no brainer. Someone's actually typing 45 different labels. That's insane. Guys, put a bunch of envelopes in the printer and let's do this. You know what I mean? It's 2000, I think 2000, 2000 that we're doing this. And I'm saying just efficiency. And, and what happened really is I got acquainted with the world of project management. I began studying it. I began reading about it. I joined PMI. I looked at the certification and I said, you know what? This is gonna advance my career. And frankly, I never looked back. I went from being a paralegal to a project manager, to a trainer, 
an office leader and then a director with a seat at the leadership table at a major law firm, all because I had a project management certification and years of experience working at law firms. It also seems like you have a passion for education, right? I mean, I do. you teach, you get out there, you do lots of trainings, I'm sure you wrote the book. Clearly a passion of yours, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Love education. Just also consider myself very fortunate to have had the career that I've had. And what does somebody in my position do? They give back. I mean, it's just, it's logical. It's normal. I think that's the human part of the human condition. If you're fortunate, give something back. It's very timely you say that because I'm reading a great book that I, I recommend to everyone. You probably already read it, Mike. And it's called The Go-Giver. We all we normally talk about the go-getter, the one that's, you know, I'm going to rush it. I'm going to, you know, be, get promoted, whatever. But the go-giver is somebody who, as the book talks about the five stratospheric laws of success, and the number one law is giving, right, and giving yeah. back. It's not surprising at all to hear you talk about that. And it's interesting about those moments. I have a different moment that we could talk about outside the recording. That was my big aha moment that stop practicing law. But it's interesting. In your book, you talk about these five project management process groups, right? You talk about initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, controlling, closing. You mentioned specifically that there's three things that each of these groups all focus on, inputs, tools, techniques, outputs, right? It's fascinating because, you know, you're talking about this passion, as Jared was asking about also about the, you know, a PMP, like this, you know, project management, right, certifications, and important that is, why is it in the legal industry, we don't see, historically, we have not seen as many folks adapting or adopting their workflow to this project management workflow, because at the end of the day, Project management is a profession that's been around for a very, very long time. But I feel like what happened was when you wrote the book, you thrusted it to the front burner for everybody. What does the client want in a legal matter? A successful outcome. How do you get there? What are the inputs? What requirements do you need? What does done look like? One of the most famous questions ever asked by a project manager. What tools, what resources, what techniques do you need? What are the best practices? And then what are the outputs? The outputs are, it could be a legal brief. It could be a verdict in a jury trial. It could be just a motion or an argument or settlement negotiations, whatever they are. You can equate the five project management process groups to almost anything. And that's why you see project management in finance, in publishing. Absolutely. I love how you're breaking this down to these simple components that anybody can can understand. I've also, I've read some quotes of yours about, you know, emotional intelligence and capacity for self-reflection. You know, the industry we're talking about here isn't really notorious for those things. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, what your perspective is on that ind industry and, and do you think it's changing? Is it getting better as the years go on? Look, I'm wed to the legal business. It's, you know, there's no divorce coming anytime soon, I don't think. And it's definitely got its problems in terms of diversity. And those are challenges that kind of, they go beyond the notion of project management. I was fortunate to have a leadership role and influence some of those policies and practices on some level, at least certainly with respect to my team. And I try to do that to this day with my team at ASEDS. But you know what? I never set out to fix the legal business. The legal business is going to be fine whether my book or I exist. 
I just find that for me and for teams that I work with, finding efficiency, finding cost effectiveness, finding good solutions and offering good outcomes, that's really what project management is all about. And I don't care what role you play in the legal business, you can make use of the tools that are talked about in my book. And you don't have to use my book. You can study project management anywhere and you'll learn the same things. Do you think that lawyers need to also learn project management skills as well, starting even in law school? Should be a first year class. Should be right along with legal writing <laughs> and research. Because a case is a project, no matter how you look at it. And if you take that case, like you do in project management, and you break it down, if you decompose a case, you break it down into its parts, you begin to see how things are very similarly done. They may be slightly bespoke because of the client, because of the issue, because of the law, the applicable law. But at the end of the day, there's a complaint, there's motions, there's discovery, there's settlement, there's trial. That process is consistent throughout all legal matters, certainly on the litigation side. Transactions are obviously a little bit different, but they too have a framework, right? And so all I'm proposing is that there's a framework that you can use to make your work more efficient. And why would you do that? Because clients want it that way. And I think that's what's lost on the legal industry. I love it. So outside of project management, you know, what are some of the emerging skills that you're seeing, you know, lawyers trying to acquire, actually acquiring, hope to acquire? What are the hot skills this year that, you know, attorneys should be looking to? There's this massive debate going on. It's actually been going on for a long time. I'm getting kind of sick of it. It's called this notion of the duty of technology competence. It bothers me because the ABA made a statement more than 10 years ago. 40 states have adopted that statement as part of their state bar requirements. And yet we still have lawyers to, who are not technologically competent. It bothers me that we've gone this long. It's my life's mission to actually change that. And if you look at some of the core values that ASAD's espouses is one of those things is, is just advancing technology competence in any way that we can. You know, e-discovery is a very niche industry. It's, it's a small part of the legal business. Important part, necessary part, expensive sometimes. It's not just about that. And, you know, the other side of the coin is, you know, financial skills. I really think lawyers need better financial skills. Not so much those corporate lawyers because they tend to gravitate towards that finance side, but litigators don't understand finance. And that's important. Those are important skills. Mike, you just hit on something that I am super passionate about, and I have to be careful as a co-host of the podcast not to get on my own soapbox about this. So you talk about this duty of competence. So for all of our listeners, so the model rules of professional responsibility for lawyers, rule 1.1 talks about the fact that in order for a lawyer to appropriately represent her client, she has to be competent. So in mm -hmm. 2012, the ABA went ahead and said, okay, let's define that a little bit. And so what they did was they put a comment buried, right? Comment number eight specifically calls out the fact that the competency now includes the risks and benefits of relevant technology. So then there's a big question about like, well, what does that really mean? So you bring up a great question, Mike, which is, you know, does that even include Excel, right? So when I give CLEs and webinars and I write, which I have, prolifically as our marketing department knows about that very thing that you said you're, you're sick and tired of, right? It's interesting. 
what needs to happen? What needs to go right? Is there a tipping point? Because we have conversations all the time. It's not just continuous active learning slash predictive coding slash AI slash data analytics. It's can you do a PL? Can you do an Excel spreadsheet, right? What are some of those basics? Do you understand what a firewall is? Do you know that using the free Wi-Fi potentially exposes you to violating rule 1.6 of that same model rules of professional responsibility, which is the duty confidentiality, ensuring that you are not allowing your client's data to leave the four walls inappropriately. So what needs to happen, Mike? Because this is what you're passionate about too. You ready? I got the solution. I wrote a piece about this for Bob Ambrogi's blog law next and it's got to start in the law schools the law schools have got to start teaching technology like they do some of that black letter law that you know all these law school graduates come out of school with that's great i need my lawyer to understand the legal concepts principles where to find the law and all that great stuff but i also need them to be technologically competent because there's no aspect of life today that is not touched by technology I just can't think of one. I mean, unless you're writing on a pad with a pencil, you know, in the middle of the woods somewhere without Wi-Fi, I mean, there's technology involved. So the law schools really have to step up here and make a core part of the the law school curriculum. I don't care what we call it, frankly, but you know, legal technology. If let's just go there, right? And I should I should reframe my position, right? It's not that I'm tired of it. I'm going to keep doing what I do. I am tired of people that don't get it. And I love to have that debate with anyone who thinks otherwise, because they're just not gonna win no matter what. I'm gonna take it to my grave. Technology is the future. And those who don't get on board are frankly, they're gonna be left behind and we see it all the time. So, you know, I don't, I don't need to call out the gravestones. So let me ask you this, right? So, you know, I teach once a year at KU Law School. So for the listeners, I I live in Kansas and I travel 45 minutes over to Lawrence and I get a chance to talk to an introductory to e-discovery and it's a mix of one through three L's. And it's actually a really great class. And so I talk about everything you never knew you needed to know about working with an e-discovery service provider, right? And as part of that, I also educate them about a lot of the technology and what they need to know, et cetera. It's interesting to me, you're focusing a lot on the law school and you're saying that's the answer. I kind of view that as as well. And I'm wondering, what do you think some of those important legal skills are for lawyers, for future lawyers leaving law school this coming spring? If you were to say, listen, as a new graduate, if you're going to be successful, these are three things you got to know. Hmm. Three is not enough, but let me see. You need to have a basic understanding of how computers work. And by that, there's a lot of things going on there, right? So what is a computer? What does it do? Where is storage? What's an operating system? Some of the basics, right? We teach this in our training and certification programs. Understanding you don't have to be an IT infrastructure expert but you need to have a basic understanding of where things are. And that goes beyond the computer. It goes into the cloud as well. It goes into social media. It goes, where is that information? What is that information? What if you needed that information? How would you get to it, right? Lawyers do things based on evidence, right? All these things I just mentioned, those are potential sources of evidence. How can you be a lawyer and not know where to go get the evidence? 
That's the first thing they need to understand. Then they need to understand some broader concepts around sort of the development of technology, the timeline for how things developed. And now we're using these artificial intelligence, machine learning tools to do things, again, more efficiently, right? And I totally support these things. But it's not like understanding where a computer comes from. And concomitant with that, I love using that word. Don't ask me why. I learned it in law school. <laughs> concomitant with that, you need to understand, you know, as the rule speaks to, the risks, the benefits and risks. So what's wrong with AI? Is there bias? What's an algorithm? And an algorithm, for anybody that doesn't know, it's really just simple. It's rules. It's instructions to a computer to perform certain operations or calculations. But those operations, those calculations can be biased depending upon who created that algorithm. It's important to understand what are the risks of using one of these tools. And you pointed out an example earlier, going into a coffee shop and using a Wi-Fi and exposing your information. Uh, that could be a client's information. So it's understanding all those kinds of risks. And when, you know, cybersecurity is a big deal today. Privacy is becoming another big deal today. Understanding some of these basic concepts, you don't have to be an expert in all of them. And I always say, if you're not an expert, go find an expert and hire them, right? I've actually read case law. Like there's a regulation in the New York City courts that lets a lawyer bring their, you know, IT guy, for lack, you know, generic IT guy, to a hearing to explain things to the court if the lawyer, him or herself, cannot explain it, right? So if you, I if have you, done that many yeah, times. <laughs> yeah, no. If you're not, if you're not equipped to do it, get somebody on your team who can do it. You know, this this is not rocket science. I'm not talking about anything that people shouldn't understand already. Absolutely, and, and to me, the stuff you said about algorithms is just so timely. I mean, that is just gonna gonna become an issue that we see increase every single year. We see the governments getting involved now, and mm -hmm. you know, looking at that data that feeds algorithms. You know how the algorithms are set up, understanding the bias against them, and I mean, particularly for in-house corporate attorneys, I think they really need to understand, you know, what is happening within their organization, how those algorithms are being used, and you know what the limitations are. We've neglected the in-house lawyer, right? But the in-house lawyer, it's a different, it's a different gig. It's not the same. Right? You need to be a business person. You need to yep. find ways to add value to the business in a segment within the organization that isn't revenue generating. It's not product producing. You're basically a cost center, you know. <laughs> a legal department is a cost center, but there are ways that you can add value, increase efficiency reduce costs. There's things that you can do in the legal space using technology, mind you, that can help add value to the business. And so it's a different gig for sure. You need to approach it from a different perspective. It's not like being a litigator. At the end of the day, it's all about managing risks and costs, no matter which side of the equation you're on. It's true. And Mike, you say something about in-house lawyers, about um, you know, their business people and, and utilizing technology to add value. So there's a lot of technology that is now, it's like a proliferation of, of tech that's in front of all business people. But one of the interesting things from a legal department standpoint is leveraging AI. Now we're starting to see, especially during the, since the pandemic, we're starting to see a lot of AI come up. So it's in contract review. 
right? Being able to take something that, that the in-house lawyers are typically doing, looking at NDAs or looking at common clauses and finding, you know, it's been a manual review, as you know, to identify areas of risk, right? Mm -hmm. And now AI comes in and AI says, hey, wait a second, I could do this much better, faster, right? Reduce the bias, right? Uh, and the algorithm is spot on. And all of a sudden we're saving a whole lot more time. And there was a little bit of a debate about that, but now we're seeing AI feed into other areas, right? Now there's programs out there. Now there's multiple programs out there that where AI is getting introduced and says, wait a second, I can actually write this for you, right? Mm -hmm. I can write an email. I can write a memorandum. I can write a brief. Where do you see that going? And where do you see, we talked about, we're talking about ethics as well. Where do you see some sort of ethical problems falling along the lines as well, leveraging more and more AI to do our, to do the jobs of lawyers, right? First, I should start with I don't ever see AI replacing lawyers, ever. Subject of many, many blog posts out there. Yeah. Right, right. I, I don't ever see it happening. Human beings have the ability to reason. They have a way of approaching logic that is not like a computer. A computer is very black and white. It's binary. And until we have artificial general intelligence, which I, I don't know anybody who's saying it's coming anytime soon, certainly, I, I think not in our lifetime. But you can't take, I forget, somebody wrote about it recently. There's there's some components to being human that a machine can never replicate. Empathy, right? That is the one. That ability to reason. So like, I'm always going to need a lawyer to say, you know, an AI tool may say, here are your options, but I need the lawyer to make the final call, right? And And that's true even in the AI applications that we're using today. At the end of the day, I imagine some cases it's fine to produce all the documents without a human looking at them, but I could make the case that that's malpractice, right? Someone should look at this stuff. Absolutely. And have you played around with any of the, you know, open source AI tools where you can ask it to write a brief on something and it- I haven't, and, I, and I'm avoiding it because I, I've, it feels right now, I think I was reading in the New York Times today, it feels like a toy right now. It feels like a kid's toy right now. Like it's not, I don't I don't know what to make of it, but these these generative AI tools that are starting to come out are they frighten me a little bit because I I don't know how to distinguish I I haven't looked at it closely enough to really understand what's going on. I, mean, I understand what they do, I understand what the output is, but do we reach a point that we're not able to distinguish? And that the Turing that test. Yeah, that part scares me a little bit. As it should. And I just, I haven't seen a real good practical application of them yet. I know we're running out of time, but I, I did have one last question. How do you keep yourself educated with the latest in technology, data, AI? You know, what are you reading? What are you consuming? I'm a voracious reader. So I get up in the morning. I won't tell you what time, but it's after the sun. <laughs> my new policy since I'm not working at a law firm. I get up after the sun. I And I generally, I, I really found a way to sort of get my internal clock in tune with the universe. I, I wake up, the sun starts to shine. It comes right in my window. It wakes me up. It's really cool. I'm told it's healthy. Nonetheless, almost right after my first sip of coffee, I've got my iPad open. I'm reading the Times. I'm reading all the legal publications the general counsel publications, law technology news, the blogs of, of Craig Ball, of Doug Austin, the ACEDS blog. Mike, I won't tell you that I get up 
many hours before the sun. And I give you credit. I think you have One, young children, though. I don't. They're not so young anymore. But <laughs> this has been really a fascinating talk. I would encourage you in your iPad morning reading to add video insights to that list of I your, get the uh, newsletter. I do get the email. All right. All right. I, I, won't, all right. I won't say that I've read it every time, but I, when, I, when I do glance at everything. And right now, in between Craig and Doug, sandwich BDO insights. Okay. <laughs> it's always fascinating talking with you. And my hope is that all of the listeners of today's podcast walks away learning a number of things because there certainly were a good number of nuggets that came out of this, this conversation today. Mike, always a pleasure. And we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. If you're enjoying these podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for more episodes. Head over to BDO.com for a list of all our episodes, transcripts, resources cited, and links on how to get in touch with us and continue the conversation. Until next time, this has been another episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk.